So before I left Maine, I was simping real hard over a girl. Okay. I was real down low because I found out she was getting married. Okay. And this was real devastating to me. I was very upset over this. So she got engaged or you found out she already was engaged? Uh, I found out she already was engaged. Oh, okay. Okay. She, at this point, we weren't talking anymore. Oh, okay. Okay. I just saw it on Facebook or something like so that. So you were seeing this girl at one point? At one point I was, okay. yeah. And I was devastated. All I wanted to do was lay in bed and do nothing. Yeah, I didn't, I was <laughs> I just wanted to lay around and feel sorry for myself, but I didn't do that. It was a Sunday morning. So I got up. I had to go teach at the Midcoast School of Music where I was uh teaching group ensembles. And I also had a rehearsal that day with this band I was playing in at the time called King Junior. Well, we go through the ensembles. We're playing, we finish up, everything went well. I felt a lot better. We were just getting ready to get started with our King Jr. rehearsal. So everybody was tuning up. We were starting to groove, all of that. And then I look out. I hear a crash, and everybody runs over to the window. We look out, and the Pontiac Grand Dam, the 2000 Pontiac Grand Dam. I think it was 2003. It was 2000. Oh, okay. I know for a fact it was 2000. Okay. You know more than me. Um, a guy had backed into it and ripped the bumper off so there was also a bunch of styrofoam on the ground for some reason because apparently that was in the bumper that's i guess shock absorption or whatever it was so, so this is the back bumper this is the front bumper you know what the uh, uh, keep going keep going you know you do you know how it got there the styrofoam yeah yeah tell me uh so someone Similar to you, someone hit the Grand Dam when I had it. Someone backed into it. Well, we should say that your first car was this 2000 Pontiac yes. Grand Dam. Yeah, yeah. And then I bought it from you and it was my first car. Yeah. 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 I think that was the Grand Dam. I'm pretty sure it was the Grand Dam. The front bumper got hit. I think I, I ended up getting like, maybe it wasn't the Grand Dam. I'm pretty sure it was though. It got backed into the the front bumper, and it got like a little bump, and they did some cheap fix on it or something. Yeah. Um, so this was a piece of shit car. Yes. Like, yeah. bottom of the barrel. It was in Maine, so every fucking year, the inspection was due in March or April or something like that, just with the way registration works. And without fail, every year it was at the end of winter, after the car just got fucked up by the winter. And, um, but yeah, this, uh, this guy backed into my car, ripped it off. And I was, uh, I was just real down low when this happened. Like, you know, just miserable. I was like, what the fuck am I going to do? How am I going to get around? What am I going to do? A tow truck driver comes to pick me up and he says, oh yeah, this is totaled. And this was maybe a $400 car. (laughs) If, if even that. And, um, yeah, so the guy that backed into my car, he immediately owned it. He was like, this is 100% my fault. I'm going to make this right. Insurance is going to take care of this. We'll make sure that you get a car, you get the money, all of that. I ended up getting $2,000 for the car, which was more than I even bought it for from you. Mm -hmm. How much money did you dump into that car? Uh, I don't remember, but it was a lot. I mean, it was over. 
It was probably like two grand, over yeah. two grand, yeah. And that's about probably what I had spent on it over the years too. Because mm. we had to replace the brakes, the brake lines, all yeah. sorts of shit. I had to do weird shit with it too, like a, like a water pump or something. Like it was a bunch of weird, just random shit would always just go in it. Because it was a piece of plastic. I mean, it was just a big matchbox. Yeah. Yeah, it was a horrible, horrible So you car. got this money and then what'd you do? Then I moved to Nashville. That's how I ended up here. It was that money like the make or break, like it helped... Oh yeah, Spur well, you on. bro, I got, I got a, I hit the fucking redneck lottery. I was like two thousand dollars. I'm moving away. Right, right. That was enough to start a new life. So you turned a negative into a positive. Yeah, it's a good thing. And then, so yeah, the yeah that grand dam, it was a piece of shit, but you know, some good things came out of it. Yeah, including you coming to Nashville. Yeah, isn't that funny to think about? That is funny, yeah. And it was at the music school too, so it was kind of poetic, you know. Mm-hmm. I didn't even want to go that day. If I didn't go that day, that would have never happened. That's life, man. Yeah. That's life. Broadcasting straight from Big Rock Candy Mountain, I'm Zachary Lehman. I am Taylor Berryman. Where can people find you, Taylor? You can find me on Instagram as the underscore Poptimist or on any major streaming platform where you can find podcasts. I have a show called The Poptimist where I interview musicians, psychologists, frozen pizza companies, that sort of a deal. Nice. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Writing Lehman, Zachary Lehman on Facebook and Instagram. And uh, what are we doing this week? This is your pick. We're doing music. We're on to music. Last week we did Many Saints in Newark. This week you got an interesting. Yes. So for a long time I've been a fan of both Merle Haggard and Bill Withers. Who isn't? And I wanted to do an episode on the two of them because I feel like they're basically two sides of the same coin. They sing about a lot of the same stuff. They're both uh, American kind of folk heroes. Even though they're in two very different Yes, genres. because of uh, Merle Haggard, of course, he's a famous country singer, and then Bill Withers is a famous R&B singer. Yeah. So I was kind of looking into their lives because I knew a little bit about them, and what I had found was they have pretty similar upbringings. Okay, I can see that after listening to these songs. Were they, uh, <clears throat> this is me being a layman, were they... Were they like, was their height around the same time? Yes. I imagine it was. Yeah. yeah. Okay. That's what I, that's what I assume. Um, so they were also born less than a year apart. Merle Haggard was born in 1937 and Bill Withers was born in 1938. Mm-hmm. And they're a part of a generation I didn't even know there was a name for called the silent generation. And that's the generation between the greatest generation and baby boomers. Oh, and baby boomers. Oh, right, right, right. So they're uh, of the Great Depression. That's why you forget them, because they're the silent generation. Yeah. Um, plus, their generation, there wasn't a lot of kids being born. Like, I looked at it for millennials versus them. Like, millennials, they had, like, 72 million or some crazy number like that. And then... In for, the U.S.? Yeah. And yeah. then for them, it was, like, 37 million, maybe. Nice. Yeah. Keep that number low. Yeah. It was a super low number. It was a, a big drop-off. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, there were... Uh, both 
born of the Great Depression. So they were born into America in very hard times. And you chose certain, how many songs from each of them? I uh, chose six songs from each of them. And they all kind of, they, they all paired up kind of nicely. Yeah, and I was pretty familiar with both of their discographies, and I really tried to pick songs that uh, I felt kind of reflected on each other, you know what I mean? Yeah, they did. Um, yeah, I have these guys, they're always sprinkled on the playlist, because every song that was on here, I think maybe, there were a few that I didn't know, I think there were two or three that I didn't know, but I knew the rest. I, I listened to both these guys pretty regularly, which... <clears throat> That's why it's kind of like uh, you forget that they're they are two separate genres, but I do think of them from the same time period. I think of them; they talk about the same things, just from different perspectives. Because obviously, the time they're from, you know, one's a you know a country, a, a white guy from the country, and the other is you know a black guy singing about Harlem. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's, they experience the same, maybe a lot of the same things, but obviously, it's two di- very different looks at America. Well, th- th- they are both. True American artist. I feel like if you think about someone like Hemingway or John Steinbeck or someone like that. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah. It's like the classical Americana is what they sing about. Yeah. Just from, again, just two different sides of it. Yeah. You know what I mean? And both of their backgrounds. So Merle Haggard, he first got turned in to the cops at age 11 by his own mother. (laughs) For what? He was just getting in all sorts of trouble. His father died when he was young, and they moved to Bakersfield, California. Oh, he's a rambling man, even when he was younger. Even when he was younger. And he grew up in a converted boxcar house. So it was a boxcar that they converted into a place to live in. Wait, wait, wait. So is it like, is it still a boxcar and people move into it and they're just like, this is a home now? Or was it actually converted? Like well, it They converted like it, but it was definitely some poor people shit. That's very poor, but that's that's also that's very like backwoods poor. And uh, Bill Withers, his uh, he lived in a mining town, Slab Fork, West Virginia. And the town that he lived in, there were he was like one of two black where's, families. Where is he from, by the way? West Virginia, Slab Fork. And, and where's Merle Haggard from? Bakersfield, California. Bakersfield. All right, keep going. Um, but he lived in a town, this coal mining town. Where the coal mine company owned everything. So it was one family. They built all the houses. They owned the grocery store. They owned everything. There's a lot of towns, especially back then. A lot mm-hmm. of coal mine towns. And uh, Bill Withers had said that uh, his family was one of two black families on the side of the train tracks that they lived on. Damn. And he said, obviously things were racist back then, especially when he was growing up. But he also said that... Everybody was black at the end of the day when they came out of the coal mine. So there was like a sense of unity and a sense of community. But he said if you went into town or something like that and you wanted to go get a milkshake, you would have to go around to the back door and order. So there was shit like that too. But it was pretty fascinating to hear um, these two guys that were born in the Great Depression in their lives. Um very different in their their teen years and 20s and everything like that. As soon as Bill Withers was old enough, he joined the Navy at 17. And he was in for nine years. So he had seen and traveled the world. Um, Merle Haggard had repeatedly gotten arrested. He was arrested constantly and in trouble growing up. Um, both their fathers also died when they were young. Bill Withers' father died when he was 13. So they didn't have 
like a sense of family. So for Merle Haggard, that led to, to really, yeah. yeah. Uh, like basically just getting into a ton of trouble. And he, uh, he was in and out of jail. He escaped jail 17 times. 17 times. Again, those are very backwoods jails. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> you can escape that much. Eventually, he ended up in San Quentin. Not an easy place to escape. No. And his friend escaped, and his friend tried to get him to go with him, and he said, no, I'm not going to escape this time. I want to turn my life around. His friend ended up escaping, killing a California Highway Patrolman, and got sent to death row. And that's when he decided he was going to turn his life around, change the way he was living and all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, interesting fact about the music thing with him. He did start after he got out of jail. I mean, music had always been a part of his life, but he took it a little more seriously after that. Bill Withers. So these were two guys that were the same age. Bill Withers did not start doing music until age 30. Mm-hmm. And he was working in a factory making toilets for airplanes when he recorded his first demos. How old was Merle when he started playing? I imagine he was probably in his early 20s. He released his first album. He was in his mid-20s in 66. So basically, these are both you know two guys who have really lived. They grew up poor. So even though they grew up with you know two very different looks at America they're still growing up with the same sort of issues. Yes. And these songs you picked, I think reflect that, reflect that about their lives. Um, So you want to get into it, get right to the first pair. Yeah. Let's, let's dive into it. Okay. First song we got a, you want to start with Merle? You want to start with Bill Merle? Okay. Merle. Uh, First song is a very famous one. Mama tried. Yeah. This is love this song. Arguably his signature song. This is the one it's, that everyone knows. It's like uh, the ultimate rambling man song, right? Yeah. I mean, what's interesting about this song too, is he's really reflecting back upon his life and how all the problems that he caused were his fault. This is, yeah. Cause this is a man who was on a bat, like a, a Merle Haggard, you know, and we were watching an interview earlier where he, he said, you know, everything he sings about, he's experienced. This is a guy who very early on is uh, in trouble and on the wrong side of the tracks. And his mom, you know, keeps trying, just like Merle's, Merle's mom, like you mentioned, tried with him. Uh, yeah, and he says he's, what, in prison at 21? So this is a man reflecting back on mistakes. And, uh, you know, the best of mothers try, but they can only do so much. And I turned 21 in prison doing life without parole. Mm-hmm. Um, he also, he has another song, like uh, another uh, lyric, excuse me, right at the beginning where he says, uh, the first thing, the first thing I remember knowing was a lonesome whistle, whistle blowing and a youngin's dreams of growing up to ride. I thought that was great. Cause like, uh, just the idea of like when you're young and you are sort of this dreamer and you don't really fit in with society's, uh, you know, society, the way society wants you to behave you can have people like your mom or whoever try to talk sense to you, but there's no talking sense to you. You yeah. got it figured out. Yeah. You know what I mean? And if you go too far with it, you know, you are 21, turning 21 in prison. <laughs> Getting tattoos, shit like yeah, that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I love this song. This is one I listen to a lot. Well, what's great about it too, you got that guitar right in the beginning, the acoustic finger pick guitar, that great, uh, that great 
I think it's slide guitar, but I'm not sure. But it, it's a, a famous lick. The wow, 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 wow. So it's kind of interesting. Uh, Merle Haggard, he was great. He had this backing band called The Strangers. And Bonnie Owens, who would later become his wife and was formerly Buck Owens' wife, is what uh, really, I think, pushed Merle's career over the edge because they sang, they sounded so great when they sang harmonies together. Yeah, they sound great. Uh, we should say this is also a song about absent fathers. Yes. Because he talks about how his dad wasn't around. And uh, it, it's interesting. This made me think of, since last episode we did Many Saints in Newark, this made me think of a quote in The Sopranos, which I, I won't be able to do verbatim, but when Tony is at the therapist, uh, The Sopranos, of course, show about the mafia family. Tony Soprano's in uh, therapy throughout the show. And he talks about moms being bus drivers. And uh, one day they just drop you off and you spend the rest of your life trying to get back on the bus, which is really you just reflecting and going like, what could I have done differently? How do I get another shot? Which is you trying to get back on the bus. And it was a very deep moment on the show. And uh, this song makes me think of it because that's all it is, is reflecting. And I will say, too, it's interesting he mentions the absent father thing. Because when you are someone who grows up with like a dad not around, you're in a very awkward position with your mother. You know yes. what I mean? I'm sure we can both, to some extent, speak from experience. It puts you in a bit of an awkward, because you're supposed to be older than you are, but you get none of the benefits. Well, both Merle and Bill had reality dropped on them quick when they were children. Between bor being born into the Great Depression and then their fathers both dying in their formative years, they had a dose of reality that some people might not experience that young. Well, and we, we should say, uh, if you have nothing else on this song, you got anything else on this song? Because speaking of growing up, next song by Bill Withers, Grandma's Hand. Yes. Pretty much kind of, again, two different perspectives. You know what I mean? Because uh, Bill Withers is singing about, you know, his grandma, who, you know, is a very, uh, very big force in his life. And Merle, it's kind of like he's, he's on his own with his mom. You know what I mean? But they're both about maternal love. Yes, 100%. Both of these songs. Uh, Grandma's Hand, again, I've heard this a lot. First time I heard it wasn't by Bill Withers. I actually heard it by uh, Everlast, who some people know as Whitey Ford. He does a cover of it. That's great. Uh, I love the lyrics to this. It's so fucking moody. And I love how moody it is, but the song is pretty positive. Like, you can say the end gets a little dark, but the song's fairly positive because it's talking about this woman, this very positive woman. A guiding force in his life. Yeah, uh, you know, held his hand in church on Sunday morning. Like, he talks about just all this very strong family imagery that he has with his grandma. And his grandma also, you know, there's a couple lines about his grandma kind of pushing him in the right direction, telling him he's, you know, verbally kind of giving it to him. Um, yeah, I love this song. Be being a protector, basically. Yeah. Um, yeah, I love the song, and uh, it does get a little dark at the end. I'm curious, what, what is your take on this song? Um, I don't think it gets dark at the end. I think it's, the, I think it's positive. Well, there was, a, there was a line that did confuse me. It was, uh, oh, when his grandma's talking. It says his grandma's talking to someone. says, uh, don't you whip that boy. He didn't drop, uh, drop no apple, co apple core. And now I don't have grandma anymore. So there's no one around to kind of defend him. 
That that's like really the biggest lyric in this song. That's what I thought because I've listened to this so many times, and this was the first time I really listened to it, and I picked up on that. And I'm like, oh, maybe this is about like his grandma's not around anymore, and maybe his mom or whoever his other guardian figure isn't the best influence. Well, I don't think it's that. I think it's him reflecting back on his childhood. And there's no grandma out in the world to oh, keep him safe. Oh, okay, okay, okay. There's no, like, if you get into a trouble at work or if, you know, someone cuts you off in traffic or whatever, there's no one there to be like, it'll be okay. Yeah. You're on your fucking own. That's true, yeah. That that confused me because of the don't you whip that boy. Um, yeah, anything else on grandma's hand? And yeah, these two songs, I mean, they're similar because, again, they're both men who are at the other ends of, of making mistakes and they're looking back on the people who influence them. And of course, when you're a man, I mean, it is what it is. The person who influences you the most is your mother. I mean, just look at psychology. That's all there for, is to for it. For better or worse. Yeah, for better or worse. I mean, your mom pretty much decides who you are. Uh, or your grandma or whoever is there to be your mother yeah. figure. You know. Uh, so next song, Merle Haggard, what do we got? Always Wanting You. Always wanting you. This song? Merle Haggard yearns a lot. Do you know who this song is about? Who's this song about? Dolly Parton. I, was, I almost said Dolly Parton. <laughs> if it's any love song, it's like, who's this about? I almost always just want to go Dolly Parton. I mean, uh, look, you know, maybe Dolly Parton's just my type, but look at Dolly Parton. I mean, there's a reason there's a lot of love songs about her. She 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 can inspire things in men. She actually ended up covering this song at one point too and putting it on an album. Of course she did. That's why we love Dolly. <laughs> well, yeah, that, that's just a, a random little factoid. Um, so they hooked up at some point, I'm assuming. I you know what, dude? Oh, I don't. That would I, be that would be just Merle's life. They did. <laughs> he wrote Dolly Parton a love song, but he didn't hook up with her. I don't think they ever hooked up, oh. bro. That's sad. I have a great... Uh, I, think, great I think Dolly would like him. I bet they hooked up. Great tangent about Merle Haggard. This is a side story. Go ahead. Related to Nashville. So at one point, I worked at this place that shall re remain nameless. It was an apartment community. And the guy who was the trash guy in charge of picking up like all the cigarette butts and all that shit, he was this old dude named Richard. And he would tell me stories about when he first moved to Nashville. He was uh, Willie Nelson's drummer at one point. He, he was from Texas, so he knew Willie from Texas. And he said the first time he went down to Tootsie's, he walked back into the bathroom, and he saw Merle Haggard in there. He was rolling up a joint. Of course, man. And he walked up to Merle, and he's like, Mr. Haggard, I'm a huge fan, yada, yada, yada. He was saying all this shit to him. And Merle was like, thank you. That's mighty kind of you. You want to smoke this joint with me? <laughs> in the bathroom at Tootsie's. Yeah, that sounds like Merle Haggard. Yeah. Yeah, that's a man. Uh, always Wanting You. Yes, back on track. So this is, a, uh, this is a song about yearning. About being tortured. Yeah. This is a man who, he wrote this song at 2 a.m. Yes, 100%. This is when you're, you know, in that, that stage of the breakup where it's all you think about, you know. Um, yeah, he's got some great, great lines here. Because uh, this is the moment where he's, he says he's still in love. You know what I mean? The love is gone, but he's still in love. Because he says, always uh, always loving you, but never touching you. Oh, yeah. So this is the, he's yearning. And this is also the part of a relationship where he's a little angry because he says, I was doing just fine till uh, your eyes met mine. Well, I think it's not even about a relationship. I think this is about him wanting to be in a relationship. Dolly was married, 
so he couldn't be with her. Yeah. That's how I take this song. Yeah, because that could still be, you know, when your eyes met mine. This yeah. is a man who has not had that pussy yet, dude. Oh, yeah, yeah. This is a guy taking his best shot. Yeah. This is a guy lining up at the goal, and he is going to slap shot it in, and it's going to make it or it's not going to make it. This is when you put it all in the fucking line. I Which, know, look, Dolly Parton, that's that's a girl you put it all in the line. Another for. song that's like that, another, another side note, Layla. By yes. Derek and the Dominoes. Yeah, Layla, I always say Layla is, uh, if you <laughs> if you ever want to describe to someone the, the feeling of when you're a man and all the blood's in your dick and there's nothing around but you and your dick, that's the fucking energy you have. You're, you're like fucking Henry Hill at the end of Goodfellas with the sweat coming down. You're driving all around fucking town. You're looking over your shoulder. That's a man when he needs to get fucking laid. Well, it's a cry of passion. And I would say yes. this song is similar to that. Yeah. It's a little different. But, um, yeah, Layla well, was... This is more Merle's style. Merle's yes. a little more laid back. He's smooth. This is smooth country. This is that old school smooth country yes. they don't make anymore. Which is its own aphrodisiac. I assume it was, or maybe it wasn't. I guess it was. I don't. I don't think he ever got it, dude. I don't think That's, him. And, he ever was able to to get with Dolly. It's unfortunate. Um, yeah, this is an interesting song because again, it's talking about basically the torture of love. So it's an interesting song because it's basically Merle, you know, asking in a very hillbilly way, you know, that that famous saying, "It's better to have loved." Uh, loved and lost than to never have loved at all. And this is, you know, Merle in a very hillbilly way saying, well, is that true? Like maybe it's better to not have loved than to actually lose it. Because then you know that that it's there, but you don't have it. Yeah. You had it and you lost it. Yeah. Or alternatively, he's being tortured by the fact that he's never been able to have it. But that's what I'm saying is, because what I'm saying is he, when you yearn for someone this fucking bad, it's its own form of love. You can call it whatever you want, horny, whatever. You are fucking. You're in love with. Um, you're in love with a moment. Yeah. You're in love with a moment, and you're fighting for that fucking moment. And you know the moment I'm talking about. He's and Merle blinded. knows what I'm talking yeah. about. Yeah. Uh, yeah. A great song. Again, this is another one I hear all the time. This just pops up on playlists. Hope she'll be happier by Bill Withers. Yes, and I'm going to say this. Uh, I was going to say this when we were a few more songs into Bill Withers songs, but I'm going to drop this just so you can think about it. I This is something I noticed with Bill Withers, because these are all, by the way, you didn't tell me, these are all basically breakup songs. These are all very, like, yearning, I'm going to die, I'm so lonesome. Uh, one difference I noticed with Bill, though, Bill is very obsessed with thinking about who his woman is with. You know what I mean? A lot of, like... I hope you're happier with whoever he is. I hope he's better than me. But it's a little bit in this song, but it, it goes on and on. Well, do you think that is genuine or do you th like when he says No, no, no. You don't I think so. I th I think it's genuine. Are you serious? Yeah. I think in the moment he thinks it's genuine, but when you say this stuff and you can hear it in these songs and that's the reason these songs have a bit of a downbeat to them. It's because he's lying to himself. These are moments where you think it's genuine. No one, this ain't ever fucking true. Maybe I'm just in love with the lie, bud. Yeah, but what, but what I'm saying is this, this can be true. Yes, this may genuinely be true, but he's being 
the level of positivity here is he's not actually there. No. He's trying to be there, which is why he's, he's thinking. He's convincing himself. Which is why he's thinking about this other person and what her life is. Because otherwise you wouldn't be saying that. You would just go, hope she's happy. Well, the opening lyric of the song, maybe the lateness of the hour makes me oh. seem bluer than I am. Poetry. So just like. Pure poetry. With Always Wanting You, this this song was also written at 2 a.m. Yes. Th- this is a man who is just, you know, drinking a bottle of something and smoking a something, smoking a bunch of something, and you just have no one to talk to, and the one person you want to talk to, you can't talk to. That wants nothing to do with you. Yes. This is a this is definitely a late night song. Um, yeah, I I love this. Again, um I love that fucking opening lyric. And I'll jump ahead and I'll say that's also the lyric it fucking ends with, and I love that. I love that. But yeah, I can just picture like Bill Withers in a in an apartment alone somewhere, just like writing this on a pad while it fucking like rains outside. Um, I love, uh, this is very, it's a lot of, uh, very reliant on like string instruments. Yes. I like how simple it is. Well, it's different than a lot of his other songs too, because of that. Cause well, there's no real bass. I don't yeah, think there's drums yes. in it. That's, it's very stripped back. That's why I say I can picture him kind of in an apartment alone with this song. And that's why I like this song because it's very intimate because it feels like it's just Bill alone. Because all his other songs, they're intimate, but they're a little bit bigger where you feel like you're in kind of a an underground jazz club or something. You well, know, that's the feeling they all have because he's got kind of that medium-sized band. He's got just enough instruments. Yeah, so his, his band setup was basically drums, bass, uh, electric guitar, him on acoustic guitar, piano player and then percussion so he likes likes things really stripped back and grooving merle was kind of similar in a way um he had a little bit of a bigger band because he had a bunch of backup singers and he also had like lap steel you know which is like a signature country instrument all that shit well they both like to rock out but i feel like they neither of them ever sound like they're trying to play in a stadium i'll say that well Merle Haggard, his sound was really formed off of not wanting to have big arrangements or any of that shit, because that's what Nashville was at the time. So he kind of went opposite. Bill Withers did, too, with R&B and soul, because at the time, he even talked about this in an interview we were watching earlier. He said uh, labels would come to him and be like, why don't you have three female background singers do you have lapel suits? Where's the gold at? Where are the horns at? And yeah. Bill didn't have any of that shit. I mean, he had some horns on some of his songs, but that really wasn't him. He, he was very stripped back, and Merle was kind of the same way. They were always about the art of the song and what the, what the melody was and what their lyrics are. Yeah. So uh, this song with the last one, I mean, they're both about yearning. Yearning for someone you can't have. Yes. Presumably you can't have, yeah. Well, and I'll say... For always wanting you, that it, to me that is a song about yearning for someone that you can never be with because of circumstance, and then hope she'll be happier with him. Is well, it's after a breakup. After a breakup, yeah. But it's the same thing because it's he, the same he, emotion. I mean, he has a line where he says, uh, "I can't believe she don't want to see me," yeah. and that comes after all this dark shit that he says. And I mean. You know, when you spend those nights alone, it, it can be hard to accept, like, because in your head, you're always picturing, and, you know, nine times out of ten, you're probably right, how easy it is for the other person, and then how hard it is for you, and it makes you feel worse, you know? So that's what this is about. Tonight, the bottle let me down, Merle Haggard. 
Yes, love this song. Uh, I've lived this song many a nights. <laughs> Again, another one I've listened to uh, all the time. Well, this one really paints a, a picture of a of a scene. You know what I mean? This is oh, he's at a bar. Yeah, he's at a shit bar. You know, he's he's knocking him back. Says he's been drinking every night, trying to get a girl off his mind. Yes. And I'll say this, look, this is what this song is about. And every man should relate to this. If you don't relate to this, I'm not saying you're not a man, but you know, there might be a question mark somewhere in there. Uh, yeah, look, uh, the bottle can help you out. The bottle is a very, as Merle seems to be acknowledging, the bottle is a very good friend most nights. Uh, but sometimes, especially when you get that tolerance level up and you're doing it every night, it just creates this black hole, this empty space, and you just knock them back, and there's going to be that one night where then, when you're trying not to think about whatever you're trying not to think about, you're going to think about it that much fucking harder, and you ain't going to get a wink of fucking sleep, and you're going to drink more than you ever thought you could, and you ain't going to feel a fucking thing. Well, I think this is what the, the geniuses of both Merle and Bill is they sing about these universal things, and there isn't really any vagueness to either one of their lyrics. There's moments where they both have where it's like things can be interpreted, but really they're very straightforward about what it is that they're saying. Yeah. Yeah, this is, again, that's why I'm saying he's being very straightforward. He's saying his, the bottle's a friend because he says uh, uh, the one friend I thought I found. And then it, he's also disappointed. This is a, a disappointment not just in the fact that, hey, I couldn't drink enough uh, tonight to forget about this person. But again, hey, man, when you've been down there with Merle, that bottle becomes a friend. And when that bottle doesn't help you one night, disappointment. That's a friend disappointing you. And that's how it sounds at the end of this song when he's saying stuff like that. He's disappointed. Bottle let me down tonight. Any more on this song? You have anything else? To no, say? I'm good. No, I'm good. I, I, I will say before we get to the Bill Withers song about all these songs, something I appreciate about Merle Haggard and uh, Bill Withers and just that generation of music brevity they knew how to make their fucking point yeah they came in made it boom they were out well and it was poetry the writing there are songs now you know songs average whatever you know three four five minutes they just a lot of them don't reach this level of poetry this level of honesty well yeah well a long song for both of them would have been four minutes most of their songs were like two and a half three minutes long oh yeah and i love that yeah. i love just the because it's more of a gut punch especially when you're singing about you know stuff like this which you know they're all sort of about relationships but they're also just about life and just about taking hits and getting thrown on your knees and both of these men they've been knocked out at the knees more than once. You can tell. These men sing with some fucking gravel in their fucking voice. Well, that that's what... It, it's real. You know what I mean? Like, it's fucking real, the shit that they're saying. And it's it's coming from what they've experienced. And they're, they're both guys. And maybe it's because their generation, the fact that they were working men, and they never had an opportunity to get out of the life that they had except for music, that they, they do have that brevity in all of their songs. Yeah, so... Uh, the Bottle Let Me Down, bit of a depressing song. So into the next one, Bill Withers. Better off dead. Uh, which again, we were just saying, these guys, they don't fuck around. They say what they mean. This song is very literally about I would be better off dead. Well, what's great too about when you look at these songs and kind of compare them, The Bottle Let Me Down is the night of and then Better Off Dead is the next day. Well, so I'll, I'll wake up hungover. I will say, because we keep mentioning similarities, one difference between Merle and Bill, 
Bill Withers is much more dramatic when it comes to breakups. <laughs> Bill Withers is like, I got to die. She's got to die. The other guy's got to die. Somebody's got to die in Bill Withers scenarios. Well, He's pretty extreme. Bill Withers said that he thinks... Part of the reason that he writes great songs is he's probably manic depressive. Oh, 100%. And I, I I mean, I bet Merle Haggard probably is too, but just in a different way or he has a different level of it. Because Merle Haggard's very much just like coming down on himself. It's all about him. You know what yeah, I mean? Exactly. It's all about Merle, which I totally get because... Look, unfortunately, I'm a little bit like that, too. And Bill is very much... He's more reflective in a way. Well, he's his thoughts are all about her, about him, about these other people, yeah. and less about himself. And when he does think about himself, it's much worse than Merle. Because Merle's just like, I'm just going to destroy my liver tonight. Bill's like, tonight, she's be- and this is the lyric, she's better off without me, and I'm better off dead. And I should say, this is such a dark song. But it does have a very smooth, jazzy feel. Oh, like it's, yeah. it's it, grooving. Because some of his other songs have positive lyrics, and I noticed this when his songs are more positive, they seem to have or more positive in the lyrics. The music seems to be a little darker, and then when the lyrics seem to be a little darker, he almost brightens the music up a little bit. He's great at contrast, and for these little songs that are like two, two and a half minutes, it, that kind of contrast just hits you good. Well, this song too. So this is off of his first album. And we have like a couple of songs off of Bill's first album. And then for Merle, it's kind of scattered shot throughout the 60s and 70s, basically. But for Bill, his first album, he recorded it with Booker T from Booker T and the MGs and with Duck Dunn from Booker T and the MGs and uh, Al Jackson Jr. So they had all played together. Steven Stills actually plays electric guitar on this album, too. Mm. Little interesting factoid. But yeah, so... Um, and Bill even talked about this in the interview where he was saying that his first, uh, most people's first album, if you're on a label, you don't really get to decide what's going to happen. But Bill was lucky that he had Booker T because Booker T was just like, hey, do whatever you do and do it good. And that's even in one of his songs called Do It Good. Yeah. Booker T said, don't be nervous. You just got to do it. Yeah, and this is a song where he holds nothing back because it it ends very literally and very dark. Yeah. He says, must die by my own hand. And then... You hear a gunshot. Gunshot, and that's how it ends. So this is literally a a suicide. I mean, this is a song that, like, if you wrote when you were, like, 16 and someone found it, they'd be like, yo, are you okay? Shit, this might be a song you write when you're 30 and someone's like, are you okay? (laughs) I love the opening lyrics of this song she couldn't stand me anymore so she just took the kids and went you see i've got a drinking problem all the money all i the had money's... yep we uh i spent now i must die my own by my own hand because i'm not man to live enough alone hey hey she's better off without me and i'm better off dead now that she's gone so this is also this when he talks about a dad with a drinking problem i wonder too like he could also this could be a song, maybe a little bit about himself, but this could also be him talking about deadbeat fucking dads. Yeah. Maybe. I mean, because well, it is very dark if he is very specifically talking about himself. Yeah. Well, I think another thing that's great about them, it's like they recognize their experience um, that they have, and they also recognize the experience of other normal working people, which is why both of them were so well, successful the, and beloved. Their talent is they're able to talk about something very common, but in a very 
specific yet nuanced way that everyone who has experienced some form of it can relate to. Yes. That's the talent of both of these men is that they're the same as these working class guys. It's just, they have this communication tool. What I love too, that, uh, in this song, basically you go through the lyrics and it's all about his wife. She calls up a, a priest, hasn't come to the house, tries to talk to, to the, the narrator of the song. And it sounds like get him to go to AA or quit drinking or something like that. Talks about how his wife called up her friend and she would cry on the telephone, but then they ran out of money and their phone got cut off and all this shit. You yeah. know, it's, it's real. Yeah. It's still shit that's happening today, too. Yeah. It's universal. Both these songs about drinking. Yeah. Well, it, and like the, the Merle Haggard song is more about. Like you were saying, it's it's from the view of self. Yeah, it's Merle. It's well, and that's why I think I, I'm noticing sort of these differences because I love both these guys. They're both great, but Merle, I do see myself like this is more the way I think, which is like you're very kind of. I mean, it's selfish. I mean, I hate to put it any other way, but no, for sure, yeah. And Bill, on the other hand, like you were saying, he get he gets a little more outwardly reflective and he starts looking out at other people and seeing right trying to figure out his emotions that way which people smarter than us can you know explain you know why they have that difference i'm sure there's we need dr melfi here with us to break this yeah, yeah. <laughs> um so yeah uh we all done with the suicide song. <laughs> yeah <laughs> okay next song this had my favorite title out of all the songs you picked i love it this is such a great title love and honor uh Oh, yeah, Love and Honor. Yeah, but I love uh, If We Make It Through December. I was going to say the album title, not the song title. Yes. The album okay. it's from. I love that fucking title. Um, love and Honor I didn't like until I listened to the song. I was like, oh, shit. Which, what's this song about? It's about the after effects of your woman cheating on a you. cheating woman. Yeah. Well, a wife. A wife. Because he's talking about vows. Like, it starts with, I mean, he's saying at the beginning, like, we took vows yesterday. So it's going through a whole marriage and this is a woman we should say didn't cheat once cheated many times yes well the the great lyric in this song is but when someone tempted you you eased across the line and i'll bet love and honor never crossed your mind yeah which he says a few times i'll bet love and honor never crossed your mind what the second time he says it why when someone tempted you you were so inclined so he changed changes it and the third time he goes back to what he says the first time. Um, I love this song. This is one of my favorite Merle Haggard songs. It might be my favorite. It's great. Um, it's a bit of a depressing song because, I mean, look, I mean, this song is, uh, I'm not going to say this is my view. I'm just going to say, look, I mean, this is one of those songs, like when he's having these thoughts, obviously it's a marriage, it's breaking down, that's very extreme. He's having thoughts like, uh, are relationships even possible? Because look, uh, I'll ask you. You've been cheated on? Yeah. I've been cheated on. Everybody's. You sh- There's no one who should say fucking no to that. And if you say no to that, I question. I question your wisdom. Well, it's uh, <laughs> such a shitty feeling. You know what I mean? Because when you get yeah. cheated on, your first thought is, like when I found out I got cheated on, my first thought was like, wait, what? 
Like it doesn't right. compute. It didn't compute with me at first. Right. And then afterwards is when you're hit with the actual emotion that you have to the right. grief of the that someone decided to fuck someone else. Well, and, and the, this is a marriage. Yeah. Which goes back to the whole love and honor thing. So this is an even bigger betrayal because you know it's like you know you're in a relationship, someone cheats. You know if you're together a long time, that's devious and horrible. But marriage is a whole other level. But this is the thing. Uh, look, we all only know each other to some extent, no matter how well you think you know someone. You only know someone to the extent that they have been tested in life. So I would say this, uh, you know, I was in the Army Reserves, which I've said that on the podcast before. I'm not saying it's a fucking, it's nothing to brag about or anything, at least for me. Uh, I didn't do shit. But uh, the point is, I saw a lot of people get married, and sometimes they would say things. I was never the guy who would come down and be like, what are you doing? Don't get married. Because I don't care. I'll, like, I'll, I like to be, you know, I like to see a, a fucking disaster from step one. So I like when people get married, because I get to see the whole trajectory. But, like, people just go, you watch these people. I watched whole marriages devolve, because it would just be these two people, and they'd be like, we're so in love. We... This woman would never cheat on me. This man would never cheat on me. And of course it happens. Because the truth is you're saying that about someone who maybe they're too young. They haven't been tested like that. He's saying you got temptation. This is a man saying he was probably at a point in life where he could turn away temptation for whatever reason. Because he's clearly been in that situation when he's admonishing her for being in that situation. Merle Haggard married five times. Five times. So he's definitely a cheater. But this is him talking about, you know, some vague version of himself. Again, it goes back to the selfish thing because now he's being cheated Yeah, on. now he's like, you goddamn... Like, <laughs> Whore. <laughs> do you have no love? Do you have no honor? So she's like, you cheated on me too. Be like, irrelevant. <laughs> but this is what I'm talking about. Like, look, uh, this guy, you know, he's so like, how could you take these vows and then betray these vows? It's like, look, you thought this was a person who those vows meant shit to. Clearly it's not. And maybe it's because they're a person. They never had the temptation to cheat. You know what I mean? That's the thing. I Like, I'll say this since. These songs are a lot about women. I'll say something about dudes. Uh, this is the number one thing I will always call dudes out on. I don't care if you're my friend. When they go like, Psh, they're like, man, I would never cheat with like, you know, they, they'll talk about like a celebrity. They'll be like, she's so fucking ugly. You know what I mean? I would never fuck. I'd be like, I, I say to them, I'm like, bro, I've seen your wife. Like they'll go like Sarah Jessica Parker. I'd never fuck Sarah Jessica Parker. I'm like, bro, you would cheat on your wife with Sarah Jessica Parker. If she walked into a bar and fucking said word one to you, you're saying that because you're a person in the world right now who's never talked to a woman like that. So you got to bring her down. But if he was in that situation, you know, then this girl who's posting on Facebook like, hey, we're in such a great marriage. Would you be in a great marriage then? If ugly ass, you know, supposedly ugly ass Sarah Jessica Parker came out of nowhere. That's the situation with the woman. Yeah. But, you know, it was Channing Tatum or whoever stole Merle's girl. Which, not everything is created equal in this world. No. No, that's something you learn young. Yes. No matter no matter what sex you are. Well, you experience Man, woman, it, whatever. You experience it young, but you might not understand it until later. You know what I mean? Because this is what I'll also say about these two particular artists. I've always liked them okay and thought they were good, but as I've gotten older, they've meant a lot more to me. Yes, 100%. Because, the, again, these are guys who, are, who have lived. So when you hear them say something at 17, it means something different than when you hear it at you know our age now. Yeah. But, yeah, these are, these are fucking guys who have lived. And I'll say this, uh, the hopeful thing, because these are a lot of down, you know, downer songs. The only reason these guys sing so passionately about the absence of love 
is because they yearn for it so bad. So these two men, they're as much as they hate, you know, they can hate love and complain about love and complain about women. The people who do that the most, and I'll, I'll say I'm one of them, romantics at heart. Yes. It is what it is. They are both romantics Just at heart. Deadbeat trash romantics. <laughs> Redneck romantics, the two of them. So uh, after Love and Honor, we go back to Bill Withers. Who is he and what is he to you? Again, Bill, what's going on, bro? <laughs> well, this is, uh, again, it's like the before yep. and after. Because this song's like yes. the before where I, he's starting to get a suspicion. I like this song, too, just music-wise. Th- even though it's dark. Like, this is a good it's, one, though. It's, it's very simple. It plays the same groove throughout the whole song. The yes, you just na, na, na. Yeah, you kind of move back and forth. Da, na, na, na. And there's yeah. a couple of little changes in it, but it's mainly the same thing over and over again. And it's really about the lyrics and the melodies. It's groove-based. So, this song is clearly about, you know, she's with another man, stepping out. What? Yes, and they run cheating. into him on the street. And... The opening lyric is a man we just passed tried to stare me down. And when I looked at you, you look ground at the ground. I don't know who he is, but I think that you do. Dagummit, who is he and what is he to you? Can I give you my favorite lyric from this song? Go for it. You're too much for one, man. I have. Go ahead. Finish it. Written it down, too, but not enough for two. (laughs) That's just a fucking lyric that clobbers you, man. That's a fucking lyric. He's calling her out. He's saying, I know you're cheating. I had my yeah. suspicions, but now I'm sure. Well, and I'm, I'm curious, too, because this is, uh, this is again, Bill, like, asking a lot of questions about this other person and stuff. Like, uh, for Bill... Why is he? I don't know. He's so he's so much more outward than Merle. Even because again, Merle compared to the last song, the way he's thinking about the woman's betrayal is through his own filter. Why didn't you think about the things I would have thought about? Well, let me ask you this. I wonder how much of it is due to the circumstances that they grew up in. Because Merle grew up a poor white guy. Yeah. Bill grew up a poor poor black black guy. guy. Yeah. So very different how they. And I'm not saying one is worse or one is better. That's what people want to do today. They want yeah. to go like, look, one sort of pain is worse and one sort of, you know, certain things are, but I, it's just different. It's just different. You know, I'm sure obviously growing up as a black man at the time, we can say we know for sure how much more shit yeah. Bill Withers went through. But as far as this stuff goes, it's two sides of the same fucking coin, but it shows how they think about it differently because Merle is very inward and Bill is very outward. And it makes it it makes his inwardness when he does go inward much much darker, which is why he thinks about stuff like this. Because this, when you're in a, a breakup or you're post breakup or something, this is like or in a relationship where someone cheats on you. Okay, this is poison. This is mental poison. Thinking about this stuff because one of the things he keeps going back to is whether she loves him or not. And I want to ask you this question: If you're cheated on, let's say with someone you you've been with a long time, someone who matters. Uh, does that fucking matter to you, whether they're in love with that person or not? I mean, none of it feels good. Right, you know? it, it hurts. Uh, yeah, it, it, yeah, it's just enough that they were tempted. One to, way or another, you didn't matter in the yeah, situation. Exactly. So, like I, but maybe I'm just like Merle. I'm just like, how do I feel? Well, that's what that song is is really about. It's about him being like, did you not fucking think about me when you were sucking this other dude's dick? Yes, which I mean, <laughs> you're not wrong, Walter. <laughs> <laughs> but, 
My favorite lyric from this one, though, is, uh, well, you tell me men don't have much intuition. Is that what you really think, girl, or are you just wishing? And to me, that particular lyric, it's all about how he is... Uh, he's suspicious and his girlfriend is saying, and may, maybe he even thought like it's some guy and she's saying, this is the, Oh, him. Don't worry about him song. Yeah. Yeah. You don't need to worry about him. Why are you worried yeah. about him? Yeah. You're the only one for me, but the girl is trying to convince him. The woman's trying to convince him, but he knows, he knows because once you, once you get past a certain age, your gut can pretty much tell you, Yes. you don't need to have confrontations to, to know certain things or to be pretty sure about, certain things and when you're pretty sure in a relationship you probably know nine times out of ten. Oh yeah so next we have a good pair of songs yes two of my maybe my two favorites on here the first one is working man blues by merle haggard working man blues it's a song that everybody can relate to interesting about this well song, working men can relate to working men can working men to. and women we'll throw women in there too. yes um what I like about it is it has that that sound of the the hammer hitting in the background, and it keeps going throughout the song. Throughout the whole song, so it keeps that imagery of a factory in your head the whole time. Mm-hmm. And um, the song is a twelve bar blues, so it's a very basic music thing uh, that's famous in blue blues music, where it just repeats the same chord structure over and over again, and the lyrics are the only thing that change. My favorite lyric from this song. Let me see if I can find it here real quick. Sometimes I think about leaving, doing a little, doing a little bumming around. I want to throw my bills out the window and catch a train to another town. But I'll go back working. I got to buy my kids a brand new pair of shoes. Nine kids. Yes, that's the opening. Nine kids. <laughs> yeah, the opening song of, uh, or the opening lyrics of this song, it's a big job just getting by with nine kids and a wife. Well, and that's one of the things I like about this song. It's about, you know, the negativity of like going to work. You got to wake up, go to work go drink your beers to forget about work. You go to bed, you wake up, you do it again, but it's turning a negative into a positive and it's taking some pride in that goddamn, that grind. You know what I mean? It's like, I'm fucking proud of this goddamn grind, even though it sucks every moment of it. Yes. Because, uh, it also says, well, Hey, Hey, the working man, the working man, like me, I ain't ever been on welfare and that's one place I won't be. I'll be working as long as my two hands are fit to use this song would be outlawed today oh yeah <laughs> well there's also uh, an air of resentment in this song too for that this is oh, his yeah. life well it's the resentment uh, I felt it most when he said the welfare lyric because he this is a working man when you look at it's like look you know, don't take this the wrong way, but like, I've been here, man, when you work these shitty jobs, when they grind you out, when you start at three in the fucking morning and you know, you go eat your fucking $2 taco for lunch. Cause that's all you can afford. And then you're driving back to your workplace, which is only a mile away, but you think your car might break down and you see somebody with a sign that says like, can you help me? You want to just punch him right in the fucking face. I mean, it is what it is, whether it's wrong or right. And he's looking at people on welfare like, that ain't ever going to be me. I ain't begging he for would, shit. He would rather work. Yeah, because he says, I'll use these two hands as long as they're good to work. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so great song. Um, and then we get into, again, we got two songs that are kind of about, you know, working, kind of that lower uh, lower middle class socioeconomic status. Maybe maybe we'll just go low class. Yeah. Um, yeah. Harlem. Harlem. By Bill Withers. 
Love this song, dude. This, this is a rocking tune. This is a great song, too, uh, because musically, it's very weird. So the song starts off... Very funky. It's very funky, but like the actual notes, it repeats the same rhythm throughout the whole song, and it kind of crescendos at the end, but it has this marching beat throughout the whole song, mm-hmm. and it also raises a half step, which is a very unusual movement in music. Um, cause it changes the key by a half step, like maybe four times. Well, I feel like maybe that's part of, uh, cause I feel like as it goes along, you feel more ingratiated in the city of Harlem. So as the song goes along, you're going deeper you, into it. Yeah. And you feel the heat more and more that sort of, you know, heat that hits you when you're in between two big city bi- buildings, you feel it more and more as the song progresses. And that's what this song is about. I mean, it's about being poor, bro. The opening lyric when he says, uh, you know, he's he's going, it's uh, too hot to sleep, too cold to eat. Bro, if you've been poor, that's what it's like being poor. You ain't ever comfortable. It's never hot enough. It's never cold enough. You are always uncomfortable. Everything is wrong. Radiator's broke. Landlord's a dick. Yeah, <laughs> the radiator. Yeah, he. That, that's what this is about. He's just talking basically about a lot of this negative stuff, just his life. Landlords who aren't really being held accountable, like all this just shit stuff of living in a big city at that time, you know, an urban area. And then, you know, he gets to the weekend, but the weekend. And again, this is where like Merle turning a negative into a positive kind of taking pride in, in uh, cause he says the Saturday nights are all right. Yeah. Well, what's interesting too about it is he basically describes two, two different kinds of poor people in this song too. He describes the people that go out and party and they're drinking, and they're having a good time, and that's how they cope with it, which really is what Working Man Blues is about. And then he compares them to the people on Sunday morning who take comfort in the fact that they're poor through religion and through God, and that that they look down upon these other poor people for partying. That's how I took the song. Oh, I was I, w- I actually didn't take it like that because there is a lyric also where he, he blasts the preacher. Yeah. And giving money, he says... Uh, uh, all dressed up for church. Don't give money to that lying, cheating man when he's talking about the preacher, which is, that's how, look, when you're, you know, lower class like that, that's how you feel about authority. Whether you're black or fucking white, I don't trust him. He wants fucking money. He can go fuck himself. You don't trust fucking authority. The way I took this was basically, you know, it's just like Merle. Like Merle, when he talks about like his little moment of freedom, it's when he goes to the tavern, has his beers. In this song, it's the weekend. That's when they kind of reclaim the city because on Saturday night you go out, you're you're dressed up for going out, not for going to church. And then on Sunday you wake up and you get dressed up again and you're with family and you're at church and all this different stuff. And uh, so that's kind of how I took it. He's going through the routine, just like Merle's song is going through the routine of this working man's blues. Uh, Bill Withers' song is going through this routine of this guy living in Harlem. Uh, so I, I love both these songs because, again, they're about the exact same things but just from two different, I won't say two different Americas. They're the same America, just two different, ex- experiences. different experiences of yeah. it. Yeah. Of this, of the same things, poverty. Uh, so that's, what's interesting too, because if you think about them in the same socioeconomic class, based on where they live, it's crazy because they're dealing with the exact same issues and they turn into two very different yet very similar people. So I love these two. These were this was the best pairing out of all these. These really? were like, yeah, this was the best pairing. Um, yeah, I love this song. Yeah, it's it's a, a fantastic one. I think Bill Withers used to uh, play Harlem as his last song. Oh, it's he, a good it's a good one because uh, it just makes you feel like 
Makes you feel like you just had a hit off a real good joint. You're just kind of grooving. Side note, if you are a Bill Withers fan, or even if you're not and you're just hearing about him for the first time, go check out the fucking album Live at Carnegie Hall. This is the song that he closes out with, and it is just burning. It's a hot band. It's just fantastic. Go check it out. Next up. This is, in my opinion, the greatest love song ever written. And the most wow. realistic love song ever written. Today I started loving you again, Lil Haggard. It's, uh, it has a title and you think it's going to be positive, but it's a very heartbreaking song. How is it heartbreaking to you? So uh, he says, I got you. He's basically talking about he's thought about her enough that she's out of his head. You know what I mean? And then all of a sudden she comes crashing back in and he starts loving her again. But this is about that love still like you convince yourself it's not there and then it's still there. Interesting. I took it in a different way. So I took this from the perspective of someone being in a long-term relationship in the peaks and valleys of a relationship and falling in and out of love with someone over the course of many years. So this is, out of all these Merle Haggard songs, this is the one I listened to the least uh, before this because it's the one I always would hear growing up because it'd be like the old people Merle Haggard. So I'd be like, I started, and that's what they always thought it was about. I think with the lyrics, I think this is because he talks about he gets her off his mind. So it seems like this is a mission. He's trying to get her off his mind. And he says, like, just when like everything's fine. And then she comes back in and he starts loving her again. So I think there's something heartbreaking about it. That 2 a.m. text. That's what I think it is. You up? question mark yeah that's what i think this is i mean i know i know a bunch of people would disagree with that because i know this is always played like at like a fucking anniversary for like people who have been together like 50 years and maybe they fuck like 10 of those it's always like i started loving you again it's like did you but yeah uh i took it as this is the waves of a of fucking breakup man like that feeling comes I, didn't, back. I didn't take it uh as a breakup i, t- I take it over like you're in a relationship and you have your own shit that you have to deal with and you, uh, maybe this is just from my own perspective, but you internalize what it is. You fall in a little bit out of love and then you remember, cause he, he wrote this song in a hotel room while they were on tour mm. and his wife, he started writing this song and she went out and got him a cheeseburger and came back and the song was done. Mm. So I just think that it's a, it's a great story too for songwriting. Yeah. Was this, which wife was this? One, Bonnie two, Owens. One, two, three, or four, or five. I don't. I don't know which which one she was in the like chronological order. Okay. I'm guessing probably third or fourth wife, maybe. Okay, so definitely not the last one. No. So, <laughs> so the whole uh, I started loving you again today. It was very temporary. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe not the waves of a breakup, just the waves of uh, the waves of love. That's how it goes. Uh, so then, Bill Withers. What do we got? Just the two of us. Probably the most famous song on here, I'd say. Yeah. Uh, someone sampled this very famously when we were kids. Will Smith. Will Smith. Big Willie style. Just the two of us. Yeah, great song. Yeah. Do you think that would have made Bill, Bill Withers proud? Well, he's probably around when that got made, right? Yeah, he was around. He didn't yeah. die until 2020. Yeah, I was going to say, he must have loved that. This is a great yeah, song. That song I, won a Grammy, I think, too. I'll say you, you chose uh, the two kind of positive songs because both of them are about love. 
Well, one's about love coming back, and the other is about falling in love. Yeah, the other. This is the song I think is about when you're in the heat of it, like when you're in, you know, whatever you call it, the honeymoon phase, whatever it is, when you have fallen and you're in that first stage. You know what I mean? It's the you know the 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 Matrix trilogy of relationships. You're in the first one. You know, everything is perfect. The lyrics for this song are beautiful. Yes. Like the my favorite this is probably my favorite lyrics ever fucking written is and this a very groovy song too. Yes. Very this I was going to say before you get into lyrics I just want to say this real quick. This feels like a song that Bill Withers would be playing in a very small jazz club and it would just be a bunch of people in love and dancing. It's, and sometimes that's a nice thought to have. It's funny you say that because he did this song with Grover Washington. Oh, Junior, yep, yep. who was a jazz musician. This was on Grover mm. Washington Jr.'s album. So um, I don't know how what like what the genesis of this song was, like if Bill brought it to him or he brought it to Bill or whatever it was. But um, it's definitely more musically complex than a lot of other Bill Withers' songs. Yeah, especially the ones we listened to yeah. uh, tonight. Because all the other ones were really uh, stripped back. And this one was kind of like, it was messing around a little bit. Like I said, it's got a very groovy feel. Yeah. And hey man, those uh, Will Smith wrote some great lyrics, but without that groove from Bill Withers, that song of his wouldn't have been as big as it was. And I remember that being the song for Will Smith, I'll say. I don't know why I'm talking about Will Smith. He's a talented guy too. Uh, I remember that being the song where he wasn't like the hokey song guy anymore. Yeah. Because before that was like Men in Black and stuff or whatever. That this was song like, he did seriously. for... Uh, I remember the whole thing. Uh, the video is him and, him and his, his son. son. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was cool. But obviously inspired by Bill fucking Withers. Well, it, it shows the, the strength. And giving a different side. Uh, yeah, of the, of the lyrics and how they can be interpreted and how you can modify them. Well, and that's one of the beautiful things. That, that's why I wanted to mention the Will Smith thing because that's what I like about this song too is a lot of these other songs, it's very clear it's about a relationship. But this is very much about love in general, love is a concept, whether it's love between, you know, two human beings who are in a relationship or, you know, maybe they're just spending time together and they care about each other or whether it's a, a, a siblings or, you know, parents, whatever, friends like this is just about love. It's just about that connection with one other person where like when it's you two, it's just the two of us. My favorite lyric ever written. We look for love, no time for tears. Wasted water's all that is. And it don't make no flowers grow. Good things might come to those who wait, not for those who wait too late. We gotta go for all we know. And I think that is about taking, well, it's about people always looking for love. Give love a chance. Give love a chance. Very simple. I've seen some bumper stickers with that. But Bill is able to say it in a much more beautiful way. Yeah. In a way that annoys me much less. <laughs> yeah, it's a beautiful song, man. I mean, look, I, this is one of those songs, again, you know, I, I think sometimes I can be a pretty negative guy. But this is one of those songs, like if someone says to me that they, you know, they actively dislike this song, I'd be like, what the fuck is wrong with you? This it's song a- experienced uh, some new life on TikTok, too. Oh, recently? Yeah. Within, I've been off TikTok. I haven't... Within the past year, it kind of uh, came back into public consciousness. Good, man. Good. 
I feel like Bill Withers and Merle Haggard both always do that. Their songs are always sort of, because they're just so goddamn universal. They're so goddamn timeless. I mean, they capture their time really well, but you can listen to these today, and, I mean, look at us. We're, you know, relating to them. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah and just the two of us, what a great one to end it with, because, you know, again, it's about, again, these songs are all, again, they're about, Yes, they're 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 kind of fun because they're you know they're negative and it's about like you know heartbreak and a woman kind of trampling you and all this different stuff. But the reason they're they're doing these songs, these songs are all about yearning for something. So as much as negative as these guys are about themselves and the world, and you know I'm saying this because any I think any artist can recognize this to some extent. They're still fucking just hopeless goddamn romantics at the end of the day. Any final thoughts on Merle and Bill and how they're similar? Uh, well, number one reason they're similar, they're both fucking awesome. Both one of a kind. Uh, and yeah, I love that they both sing, you know, they were both artistically interested in a lot of the same things, but for, but from very different viewpoints. So I love that. I love that, like, you know, uh, Harlem and then a working man's blues. It's like this, it's almost the same song. I love both of them equally. Because both of them give me just that genuine fucking feeling of, of being there. And I can relate to both, even though I didn't grow up in Harlem and I didn't grow up in fucking Bakersfield or work at a factory in Bakersfield. What's interesting about the two of them, too, is they have two different working man perspectives in their 100%. music careers, too. Because Bill Withers stopped doing music after 1985. How he, old was he? He was probably, I'm guessing, in his 40s, maybe. Jesus. Late 30s, Quick early run. 40s. And so he just kind of was like, I'm not doing it anymore because he was tired of what he called uh, black spurts coming up to him, like white record label guys. Oh, and telling him how to... How to be yeah. more black and connect with a black audience. And he just said, I'm not going to fucking do it anymore. And he had a bunch of legal troubles with labels trying to screw him and shit like that. Merle Haggard... He was recording up until the fucking day he died. He never mm-hmm. retired. But um, Bill had said uh, the reason why is because when he was young, he didn't really feel like he had a family. And then he was finally able to have a family, and he wanted to focus on that. Oh, okay. Well, that's, that's nice. Yeah. yeah. But it's too different because people were ta- like would always ask him, when are you going to do another album? Questlove tried to do an album with him. And he was always just straight up like, no, I'm not going to do it. But you know what? Again, that goes back to what we were saying about both of them and the way that they experience life. Because here's Bill Withers. He's walking away from the music in a sense because there's this, what's important to him is the family unit, you know? And then Merle, you know what I get? I'm not saying one is better or worse. Merle, what matters to him is the goddamn music. Because that's his escape from his family troubles, whereas Bill Withers is yearning for to kind of fix whatever was broken in his family. Well, you can get the sense, too, from just watching those interviews that we watched with Bill. He's just basically like, I can go and get another job. I worked. I know what it's like. Because he was in his 30s, dude. He wasn't... It wasn't until he was 32 when he blew up. He didn't have a record deal like when he was 21 or some shit. You know what I mean? Mm. He was a working man. Merle, it was more of an escape for him because he was able to, not more for him, but he was able to leave that prison life behind. Right. Interesting factoid about Merle Haggard. I can't remember if I've already said this or not, but Ronald Reagan completely pardoned him. Oh, wow. 
whenever he was governor of California. Yeah, wow. I didn't know that. So when Merle started blowing up, Ronald Reagan gave him a full pardon. Yeah, again, it's two different guys because to Merle, you know, again, his songs were very inward. Like, the, the music itself is the cure to his blues. You know what I'm saying? He's got to keep doing it to keep going. Whereas Bill Withers, I mean, you hear in his songs, and maybe that's why in his songs he's a bit more extreme than, than Merle Haggard, because in music he hadn't found whatever he was looking for. He may have found a version of it, but maybe that's why his songs yearn more and they go more extreme, because he hadn't found that piece of himself. Music didn't give him that piece of himself that it did for Merle Haggard, even though they're both incredibly passionate and love music and committed to it. And, you know, both went leaps and bounds in their careers on the first, uh, Bill Withers album. The cover was of him holding his lunch pail. Um, and he said that he was still working at the factory. I think when the album came out, he didn't know if he could have a career or not and Mm -hmm. make a life of it. And he, uh, he said he got invited to play the tonight show and the next day he went into work and he's like, no one would believe where I was last night. He said even people that knew him when he blew up as a star, like his Navy buddies were calling him and being like, what's going on? You're like a famous singer now. Yeah. And then with Merle, he had he had nowhere else to go. Yeah. Good Merle, will hunting, dude. Nowhere else to go. Yeah. He was uh, Richard Gere and an officer and gentleman. Oh, yeah. That's what it was. Yeah. Bill Withers and uh, Merle Haggard, you know, they were both, I think, very similar, very different, but both goddamn heroes to the working working class, man. Both American classics. Both one-of-a-kind Americans. 